Hello everyone, it's Paul Newbegin here from the Past Podcast with some very exciting news. I am absolutely delighted that Series 5 of the Past Podcast is brought to you in partnership with our wonderful friends at Chefworks, who are our sponsors last time round as well, so it's great to have them back. And as you'll know, they are famous for outfitting chefs, kitchens and front of house all around the world. Chefworks offer a collection of great uniforms, so to check out their full range, you can visit chefworks.co.uk. Thank you again to Chefworks, and it's great to be back for Series 5 of The Past Podcast. Enjoy! As you can tell from my rambling intros, ho, 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 it's Christmas, and I've had one too many brandies, because that's a Christmas drink, apparently. Ha, 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 Lord knows why it's horrible. Uh, it's Paul here, your host of the past podcast. I won't get emotional because it's Christmas time, but this could probably, maybe, maybe, might be, could be probably is almost at least 90% the last episode of the past podcast but I mean there's two more in planning at least it probably isn't but this is could be there is a chance because who knows might get pulled by then might get the plug might be pulled so if this is the last time I speak to you goodbye I may release a little thank you episode at another time but now's not the time. Now's the time for Mr. Paul Prophet, who was over in the UK for D- Devour, which was at the Burlington at the Devonshire Arms in Bolton Abbey, where a certain Mr. Paul Leonard was having his last week in service before he moved over to the forest side. Um, and he invited some friends over for a week of different nights. And I was privileged and proud and pleased and delighted and very, very, very happy to attend Mr. Paul Prophet's night. And we had a wonderful and lovely chat. He's a very lovely and beautiful and gorgeous man. And he comes over from, well, he's, he's from the UK, you'll hear that. But he comes over from Denmark, from uh, Hen, Hen, I think his Danish accent is better than mine so enjoy wow that could be the longest intro ever goodbye and merry christmas is this all they get you travel with does it I thought you'd have a load of them. No. <laughs> you unimpressed. I'm not only, but I mean, if it does the job, it sounds great on the, on the radio. Because where I work, Henna is an hour and a half drive away from where I live. Right. So every night I, I drive an hour and a half there, and then I drive an hour and a half home. And after service, you know, when chefs get going, I like to um, wind down a bit. So I felt like even if I live five minutes away, I still couldn't get in and go straight to bed, you know. You have to kind of come down after a busy day, busy service and whatever. So it's like they're normally perfect timed to have like a nice hour on the way home, listen to a podcast, you know. Did you imagine we were with a proper studio set up? Yeah, well, I'm not quite sure. I've not done a podcast before. <laughs> it's best to describe it. It looks like a, like a square mouse on, a, on an old-fashioned cassette recorder. My favourite one is everyone says it's like a Bond villain with a cat. Yeah. No, I, I can see that, yeah. It is actually called a It looks dead like cat. a topiary wig. <laughs> a little muff. Yeah, a little muff. <laughs> When did you touch down in Yorkshire yesterday? Yeah, we got here yesterday. Uh, we took, like, what was it, connecting flight for Amsterdam or whatever, and we got here about three o'clock in the afternoon, I think it was. And I just, I just love walking through the front door here, you know. When we come last year, you get here and you hear all about this, like, famous Yorkshire hospitality. And we, they picked us up from the airport in a car and they bring us to the front door and then the geezer opens the car door and he's got a brolly. Uh, and he's wearing Yorkshire tweeds, you know, Mr. Prophet, how's it going? Yeah, very good. So getting to the front door, there's like all fishing rods and plaques and that by the front door. Another guy in a Yorkshire tweed three-piece <laughs> opens the front door and then you've got a roaring log fire going. There was a whippet sleeping <laughs> in the dark bed. And you're just like, no, they've done this on purpose, haven't they? This can't be, can't be how it is. Into it was, Yorkshire. Yeah, this is like the most Yorkshire thing ever. So, But since then, like, yeah, I've just loved it. And obviously Leno, being from Yorkshire... Um, he kind of emphasises everything about this yeah. hospitality, and I really, I've never felt more welcome anywhere than I have. Turned around around. in a kestrel. Just yeah, landed. do you know what I mean? <laughs> the guy who picked us up from the airport yesterday is like a groundskeeper, and you know they're fiercely proud. These people from Yorkshire, and you know, rightly so, it's a kind of beautiful county. Yeah. 
and we just talked about cricket and grouse and everything in between for you know hour and a half on the way from the airport yesterday. It was great. I'm glad you've already said henna. Yeah, because that's what we're gonna. I'm gonna pronounce it as now. Yeah, because I've heard it hen. Hen is incorrect. Yeah, right. So it's henna. It's henna kirkabukro. I'm not gonna say I said that. that like a sweet henna kirkabukro. I'm not gonna say that yeah. again. But yeah. I will. I'll keep saying henna. hen. Yeah, henna. 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 Right. Okay. Yeah. Because obviously you've alluded it to the, it there. It must be one of the most remote restaurants in Denmark. Um. Yeah. Certainly yeah, of I that level. I think. Yeah. Well, it's it's the only two star restaurant outside of Copenhagen. And it's like, when you talk to all the English guys, they think that Copenhagen is Denmark, and actually Copenhagen is on a small island called Schellen. Uh So if Copenhagen is like the very east coast, very close to Sweden, we are on the very, very, pretty much as far away from Copenhagen as you can get. Yeah, you it's, are. It's near a three and a half hour drive from Copenhagen to him. Uh, we are like in the remote, rural, wild west coast of Denmark. And it's, uh, yeah, it's like a 250-year-old coaching inn. Um, yeah, and it's, I mean... It's a storm in a teacup, that's how I always describe it. <laughs> so you've been there for how long? Uh, four years, yeah, four years. And you started kind of entry level, really, didn't you? Yeah, I started as a junior sous chef. I mean, I, my wife's Danish, and uh, the plan, it was me pushing it more than her, I guess, but the plan was always to go out to Denmark. Uh, and then what's really funny, right, I, was, I saw we did an event at Studio in Copenhagen uh, a few days ago with one of our old sous chefs, and Nigel Hayworth was there. So we started talking, and we're actually cooking at the Obsession yeah, Food Festival say, yeah. uh, on the 28th of January. We've sat, bought your tickets now, just saying. Um, yeah, so we're going over there to cook, and the reason I found out about Paul's food in the first place was 10 years ago. My wife bought me the 10-year anniversary cookbook from Northcote, and, uh, yeah, Paul was in there. He did, like, a lace with langoustine with rabbit and, and whatever, and that was the first kind of introduction I had to his food. And then here I am 10 years later, you know, head chef at Henna, two-star restaurant, and we're cooking at the 20 Years Festival for Obsessions. I thought that was quite cool. I found it odd because, obviously, I was trying to kind of research you and I didn't know about your wife being from that part of the world yep. so I was trying to work out why would a lad from Staffordshire who <laughs> was were you a senior role at Swiffen Hall right? Swim, yeah I was there at Swiffen Hall before I went to Denmark but you know what? it was driving me into the ground like I'm, I'm married I've got two young children uh, and it, the, I think the, what pushed me over the edge like the final straw I guess I worked like every day in December like some beastie days while the boss was in the Bahamas or something like that and I thought they don't give a shit about me do you know what I mean and it's life's it's worth more than that to me anyway you know I wanted a better quality of life and then you look at obviously the connection was there because my wife's Danish but you look at the Danes being like the happiest people in the world yet they pay the most tax and all this kind of stuff and it was just something when we started going over there it's like there's no perfect country but it fits very well with me and my family and you know we work a four day working week at Hena I, I get consistent kind of three days off every week and we treat everyone nicely, you know, nice environment to work in. We, we cook some half-decent food and, you know, it's, it's a respectful environment. It's It's been a game-changer for me. I kind of I want ponder sometimes where I would be or which direction my career kind of would have gone in if, if I'd have chosen a, a different restaurant to go to. But it's really made me realise what a traditional cook I am in, in many ways, you know. Paul has a famous stance of kind of tradition over trend and I think that relationship between the two of us, I've, I think I've brought a lot to the table um, or certainly bought out what was already there. You know, yeah. I, I love making the traditional food, but yeah, we throw twists in there every now and again, but nothing yeah. ever for the sake of it. You know, it's it's simple produce. It's it's all about flavour. We have a, we have a saying in the kitchen. We say if it's good, it's good. I'm going to tell you a story. Right, we had a, we had a, an undisclosed three star Michelin chef whose name I won't mention who came to eat at the restaurant a couple of years ago, and uh, you can't get a decent curry in Denmark, right? So I'd made uh, my famous profit Birmingham Borty for staff food. And we're eating it, and Paul's eating it, and he goes, oh, this is, this is great, this, this is really delicious. I said, oh, you like it, do you? He said, yeah, he said, we're going we're gonna to feed that to him when he comes tonight. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I had to pick my jaw up off the floor, I was like, you can't give leftover staff food to a three-star chef. And he looked at me, dead, ice cold, and went, well, you know, when it's good, it's good. So we took the sauce that was left over from staff food, we poached a beautiful uh, West Coast lobster tail in it, and there you go, famous <laughs> star chef, have that. I want to come on to this uh, classic thing because I've got some questions around that but I want to first of all ask you so you didn't have a connection with Paul at all no what what it was obviously I've seen him in this book and then find out do a bit of research from whatever Uh, I think this was in the November 
2015, we're going, right, OK, we're looking at going over probably sometime next year, about 12 months or so, we get our kind of affairs in order. My wife's mother and sister had just moved back over to Denmark. So we came, right, what, what we need to do, we need to line up a job for me before we go over. So it was a natural connection because he was English. He made the move 20 yeah. years before, uh, you know, and everyone in the game speaks very highly of him, you know. He's, he's a bit of a legend. Yeah. Uh, so I just went over there to have a chat with him, really. And so, you know, what was your experience of moving to Denmark? How did you find it? You know, the Danish food scene. I'd just been a head chef, so I'm thinking, if I cook the same food I was cooking now, do you think the Danish people would kind of get it? Because a lot of it, you know, plays off nostalgia and food memories and all this kind of stuff. So on the day that I went out to the restaurant, it was November 15, uh, he just showed me around. And, you know, I just, I've always, like, followed my gut. And I just got a feeling this was just a great restaurant. He didn't have any missing stars at the time. You know, obviously, he's, Paul Cunningham is a big name in the game. Um, but he just gave me this feeling in my stomach and his sous chef had given his notice in the day before as it quite happens you know in these circumstances it's a lot about timing and yeah I walked out the front door after we'd had this chat for a couple of hours and I got in the car and my missus looked at me and she said you're going to come and work here aren't you and I went yeah and that was it and then you know he's a fucking he's a difficult man to get hold of on the phone anyway Paul anyone sorry Paul anyone who knows him will tell you so I called him every day for two months uh, until I think he just got bored of the sound of my voice and then <laughs> New Year's Day 16 he called me he offered me a job and yeah I took a pay cut a demotion went out to Henna and then I mean but yeah, when I look back on it now it's, my feet ain't touched the ground for four yeah. years you know moved moved to a different country learned a new language uh, obviously my my wife started working we bought a house we bought a couple of cars you know the kids went to school we won one mission star we won two mission stars you know and yeah promotions and, and whatever else all this between balancing your personal life and, and et cetera et cetera and yeah here I am at the Devon Arms <laughs> four years later <laughs> talking to you so uh, yeah I think if you'd have told me this when I was at Swimpen a few years ago I'd have probably told you you were stupid so you've like every guest you've prepared five dishes that mean something to you yeah right? I buy it and, but I, we're here tonight so the reason why we're here is because you're doing the special night yeah that's right at, at the Burlington food week yeah at right, the right with with Leno so yeah. we're gonna I wanna you, listeners are lucky because we'll probably I'll ask you for some of your dishes that you're cooking tonight yeah. as well as your five dishes so we well, might have a bumper episode mega dishes coming but we in. can break rules <laughs> but on your special dishes on the dish that means something to you what was the first one you chose and what was the reason why right so obviously being a listener to the podcast I've heard quite a few and I've been re-listening to a few I thought my, my good mate Tom Shepherd, he was on it a little while ago and I really like the way he kind of broke it down then Leno was on it and you know, it just makes good listening, I think. Uh, and I'm looking at dishes that have uh, either defined my career or points in my career, uh, dishes that have given me, like, a, a special moment or something that, you know... A lot of these dishes that I'm talking about, in fact, all of these dishes, if I close my eyes, I can remember exactly how they taste. And I think that, for me, is something that's a special dish or a special moment, you know. And sometimes it's the setting. It's, it don't always have to mean that the dish is the best dish in the world, but at that moment in time, yeah. do you know what I mean? It was just like a snapshot. Yeah. And I think I've got I think I've got a decent palate as a chef, obviously. But you know, I've always been good at like tasting something and then recreating it. But I think these dishes, I could I could cook them and taste them now, and I would know exactly if they were how they should be or, or not. Do you know what mm. I mean? It's like very vivid. Um, yeah. So the first one was is it's my nan's shepherd's pie, and I say like I think everyone has some kind of nostalgic food memory and this something. But I was. Um, I wasn't really a chunky little kid. I was big into sports and all that, but I was a gluttonous little kid, you know. Still am to something. I love sweets. I love all the shit that you shouldn't eat. Do you know what I mean? And you can't have too much of a good thing. So whenever I got something that I liked, I latched onto it. And, uh, yeah, my nan used to make this amazing shepherd's pie. And we'd, when I look back at it now as a chef of nearly 20 years, you, know, you probably weren't that great, you know. She's, she's buying a bit of mince or a bit of this and that from the butchers and she's cooking it down with a bit of... You know, bisto granules and peas and carrots and onions and all this kind of stuff. She had really bent, like, arthritic fingers, man, and it was a miracle she never cut them off when she was making. And then, um, yeah, just topped it with a little bit of mashed potato. She made this masher in the oven. And we always ate well. Like, there was always a big emphasis in, like, meal times in my family life at home with, with mum and dad, like, sitting around the table, talking about your day before mobile phones and all that stuff. Uh, and that's something that we're big on kind of carrying on with our children now but I remember sitting at Nan and Grandad's dining room table it's like a big oak dark mahogany table whatever with with all them frilly lace doilies on it 
And then you just, you just plonk this shepherd's pie in the middle of the table, and then you get a big spoonful, you get some veggies on the side that were cooked for seven days, or, you know, as your nan does. And then just biting into this, you know, it's rich, it's delicious, you loved a bit of salt as well, you know, creamy mashed potato. And this was like a, a, a pivotal moment for me, because it was like when I realised how, how happy food could make people, you know. And then being a greedy little kid, I'm thinking, if I could make this at home, you know, then I could eat this all the time. <laughs> and I think that's, yeah, probably definitely one of my fondest food memories, but I'm not sure I'd be a chef if it wasn't for this kind of, like I say, I was big into sports, anything. Yeah. I was a fidgety little kid, you know what I mean? So it's like, I'm still now, I'm, you, you struggle to catch my attention unless it's something that I love doing. You know, my, wife will tell, my wife will tell you. <laughs> I've got to be invested in it. And, and yeah, it sent me down the path of kind of, I'll try and keep you on the straight and narrow because yeah. you've got you know got another half an hour or so left. Are you going to be all right? Me, yeah, I'm yeah. fucking I'm right. We're looking pretty good in the kitchen, to be fair. But I did say, you know, I said, oh, fucking hell, if I don't talk for so long, I'll drop myself in the shit. But we'll be all right. Oh, I'll keep, don't yeah. worry, I'll no, keep, you, I'll keep, keep me on track. track. Yeah, so that was, that was dish number one, Nan Shirley's shepherd's pie. I think I owe a lot to that one. Yeah. So I wonder there's something that, picking up on something you said there about when you move over, and there's that moment, isn't there, where you must kind of look at it and go, has this, you know, this, has this worked and kind of assess that it worked? Was there a minute where you realised, wow, that um, risk that I took? No, I mean, I'm very grateful for the day-to-day life that I have. Do you know what I mean? I never take it for granted that, you know... But I think people talk about being lucky, and, and I do consider myself lucky in this regard. But my dad always says, you know, you make your own luck in this life. And it was it was us that chose to up sticks and move to a foreign mm. country and learn a new language and kind of emerge ourselves into all this, you know, fortune favours a bold and all that stuff. And as it happened, I'd come to the inn at a very good time, you know, the, the, the kind of recognition of stars. It was always a great restaurant. Even before Paul was there, before there was a chef called, uh, what was his name, Alan Paulson, before it's been owned by the family that own it now for kind of 10, 12 years. Mm. Even before that, it had a 20-year kind of culinary yeah. history. There was just yeah. a feeling that it gave me. And, uh, yeah, I feel very lucky that, you know, if nothing else, the timing was as it was. And, yeah, I think you can't really look back and go, oh, you know, I've made it. What is making it? What is success? You know, I have a very good balance in my life, day-to-day life. I'm fortunate enough to be the head chef in a two-mission-style restaurant, a restaurant which is nice to work in, uh, which yeah. cooks some half-decent food, which, um, quite interestingly for us anyway, a lot of people in England seem to be taking an interest in them. Yeah. We're kind of talking about I'm very fortunate to work with some fantastic individuals uh, in the kitchen every day I mean you know we've been like most people we've been short a couple of cooks this year and the guys that we have quite they've really you know I give them a bit of grief you know nothing <laughs> too serious but with the banter in the kitchen is great and they, they do a wonderful job day in day out and uh, yeah I've, I'm very fortunate but the fortune was uh, I don't want to say self-made, but it was us that took the yeah. chance to go over and move to Franklin's and do all this stuff. You know? Did you feel like you had nothing to lose in a lot of respects? It wasn't like nothing to, but we always looked at it like England's not going anywhere. Or maybe you know, all this Brexit stuff. I've not, really <laughs> not really been following it since we moved. To be honest, I said, but um, yeah, if, 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 if we go and we don't like it or it don't work out for whatever reason, we just come back. Yeah, you know. And I think um, I was not going to be one of those people who, you know, there's a few that you know, and you probably know a couple as well that just moan about how crap it is here. Or everything's terrible, but they don't do anything about it. They just carry on same job, same house, same place, same wife, same whatever it is that's making them happy. <laughs> and I'm just not that person, you know. You've identified that you're not happy, you know. You need to make a change, and that's what we did. So you you said something earlier, and it is what I wanted to talk about because I was thinking about henna on the way over, and I was thinking about Denmark, and a lot of my kind of favourite food memories are there. And I think about places like geranium, noma. Yeah. yeah. Or the you know play uh, alchemist out there, yeah. And I think crazy. I think artistic. I think wacky. I think all this Nordic, you know, Nordic yeah. stuff. And then I don't think of hen in that. Good. It's very 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 different, right? Yeah. But it's, we. Uh, how can I put this? I mean, there's space for everyone to do what they want to do, and you know, obviously, there's, you've just named three probably the world's best restaurants. There, they're very different restaurants. You know, they're all doing their own thing. We are different because we're not different because we are traditional because we still do things uh, in a more, well, definitely on the Danish scene, it's considered mm. a more old-fashioned way. But, uh, you know, I think when you get to a certain age and you kind of look at yourself as a cook and, you know, what, what gives me the greatest pleasure to make? And it's not Nordic cuisine. It's, mm. it's the traditional, the classic. And what gives me most pleasure is, is passing the knowledge that I've gained over these years, which you don't really realise what it is until you, you call upon it. 
onto the next generation of ships. Yeah. So we make the Patreon crew, we make the hair oil, we make the you know, bone stuff, saddle lamb, you know, we, we everything comes in whole. You know? Yeah. So it's whole fish, it's whole. And I, we just, before I left, I put, broke down a deer that was 115 kilos with the, with the meat chef. Yeah. You know, I think I saw your Instagram that day. Where that, does yeah. that anymore? You know, and again, I got a very good grounding at the College of Food in Birmingham, Richard Brockersby, who, who, you know, Chef Brock and his little dungeon downstairs. Uh, he was the butcher and he, he kind of took me under his ring when I was 16 when I first started. And they're skills that maybe I didn't draw on for a long time. Mm. And then you go to somewhere like Anna where it is whole animals and all this kind of stuff. And then, yeah, you just you, you do your thing, you break it down. And what surprised me was a lot of the boys going, oh, you know, I've never seen this before. I've never yeah. done this before. Yeah, that's and what I was going to say. This was stuff that I was taught at college, you know, 15 years ago, 16 years ago. Now. I was going to say that because you see these things and you think, that had you know that and and it's got its place like you say everything does but this kind of scandy which was born a lot out of noma right it yeah, just exploded yeah, yeah. yeah oh for sure the and that's why you go to a pub in in birmingham and you get you know a steak with wood sorrel on it or yeah. whatever i think people misconstrued it he's a victim of his own success and he old or when he was epi you know um but it's interesting then isn't it being the one that's doing it differently yeah but it's not just that i mean we do everything differently and it's not for the sake of doing it differently we we allow the people that work at henna to be themselves and i think it's only really dawned on me again when i was younger this guy wears a t-shirt in the kitchen he's a cowboy you know you need to have your perfectly ironed trousers and and this that and the other and then you see someone like michael o'hare i'm a big fan of michael o'hare a guy who beats his own way who treads his own path and yeah, of course you're going to get a lot of stick for that because you're different, you know. Obviously, we we play the music in the kitchen. We treat everyone respectfully. The chefs take food into the restaurants. But if if he if the fish cook comes to work wearing a pair of jeans or you know a leopard print tutu and a g-string, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> as long as he stands there and he makes delicious food, he cooks the fish to the best of his ability, and that plate that we send to that guest is as good as it could have been. I don't care. But I think it takes a certain amount of beating that old school mentality yeah. out of yourself to say. And I was I was bad for it when I was young as well. You know, you have to be this way. You don't have to be anything. Before be, I get your second dish, yeah, is the is the fish and chips thing true? Yeah. You do fish and chips. Yeah. But why not? You remember I said earlier, if it's good, it's good. Yeah. No. 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 I'm just. I did. I yeah. And that's heard it as rumor. Almost. No. Every every Friday lunch, we do fish and chips as our main course. We get these beautiful Danish golden potatoes. Uh, we get Gurnard, he's our kind of fish of choice, mm. in a little beer batter. With At the moment, in the winter we do it with the mushy peas, in the summer we do it with fresh peas, a little bit of mint, homemade tartar sauce, wedge of lemon, you know. And this is the kind of food that we cook because it's the kind of food that we want to eat. Yeah. I think there's not a, a lot of dishes that I can think of that we've put on a henna that I haven't thought, you know. Yeah. Or at least, you know, I'd part ways with my money gladly to, to kind of eat them. I must make clear, I was not saying that in a derogatory no, way. No, I get it, man, I get it. Um, but this is, we get this a lot. Yeah, know? but then I interested. think about Tom Kerry's in a hand of flowers and what yeah, he's yeah, been yeah. doing. Do you know what I mean? It's all about how you do it. And it, people would like to tell you what's possible and what's not possible. Well, you can't have fish and chips in a two star restaurant. I'll tell you now, my opinion, you know, and that's all it is. You can have whatever you want in a two star restaurant as long as it's good. Mm. Let's have your second favourite dish. Right. Let's have a look here. My second favourite dish is actually I worked at a little one rosette restaurant when I was doing a work placement when I was 15 called Bratz in Litchfield, Staffordshire. And this was my kind of... He was a classically trained cook, Chris Bratt. Uh, he's a bit of a geezer. He got his own restaurant at quite a young age. And, yeah, it was not far from my house. I started working there. And uh, he had a ham hock uh, terrine on the menu. So it was one of them you've probably seen a million times. It's kind of parma ham lined on a bit of cling film. It's uh, ham hocks, uh, gently smoked, you know, salted, boiled for a few hours, picked out, mixed with some whole grain mustard and some chopped herbs, and then pushed inside this terrine mould. And we used to serve it with like a seasonal chutney and a little bit of bread, brioche, whatever. But this, this really sparked my love of terrines. And I still now, you know, anyone that knows me, I'll tell you how much I love a terrine. A patty on crew, a terrine, a potato terrine, like you have one tonight, I've cooked a potato terrine on the main course. I love, love, love a terrine. You know, I worked at the Hyatt in Birmingham. There's a French chef there called Laurent, and he was he was terrine obsessed. You know, he'd worked at some of the big places in France, three, two, three Michelin star restaurants, and he'd come in on his day off to slice them. You know, I thought he was mental, <laughs> but he'd, he'd be so. You know, he put he put all this time into yeah, a terrine. Yeah. This is one of my favourite things about it. And once it's locked in, once it's either pressed or steamed or cooked or whatever, once it's in the fridge, it's done. There's nothing you can do to it. It's like, if it's not good at that time, then it's not good. 
So I think the kind of you have to really pay respect to the process. Uh, I think you know making beautiful mosaics, the flavours, the the texture, the end of you know the possibilities are endless. Fish, vegetables, but the the kind of the reward uh, of particularly this this patty on croup we've been working on for kind of two years. We put it on the menu normally this time of year because we get a lot of venison, uh, rabbits, those kind of things on the menu. Uh, and yeah, it's like once you open that door it's like a you know fall down the rabbit hole and you're just constantly trying to how can I make it better how can I make it different how can I put this valentine in it or this jelly or you know and I think I've made one I've been, <laughs> I've been like 100% happy because there's always something you know there's always something you can do better uh, and this is yeah this is my love of terrines definitely came from this this very simple ham hock whole grain mustard parsley terrine from the Rats restaurant but then I suppose and I don't know how much you follow this I've noticed something I well I certainly have noticed myself in that when I first kind of got into food I wanted that kind of creative the crazy and not to say classic isn't crazy but where I'm going with this is I find myself now that I'm like more educated interested in mm. these classics because what you get then is the flavour and you get this deliciousness yeah, and, and I mean the reason they've stuck around for so long is because they're so good yeah you know and there came, there came a phase where it was about doing a classic with a twist mm. And then, the, I mean, a lot of it was just shit, wasn't it? It was just like, why have, you, why have you changed it? You're changing it for the sake of changing it, you know. And it's having the confidence to say, we've done this very simple thing as well as we possibly can. There's nowhere to hide, you know. And you get your slice of terrine, you get your few pickles or whatever, and I'll be happy, man. You're not scared of becoming trendy, though, because soon, you yeah, know, when it, it all comes back in trendy... Back, but this is a kind of... <laughs> you don't then change because it's you follow the trend or whatever. This is just how we are. And I think it really emphasised to me that, in many ways, how traditional we are, you know. Um, but again, you know, a pair of snakes in boots and jeans and whatever. We don't do things in the wholly yeah. traditional way. But, I mean, they don't always fit together, and this is what was always quite interesting. If you look at the motley crew of kind of, uh, of guys we have working at the inn and then the food that we send to the restaurant... Yeah, sometimes you wouldn't, you definitely wouldn't think the two were kind of together. Well, this is so I follow you obviously on Instagram and social medias a lot. Yeah, and I think to me, this there's like a real family vibe that I get from what you're trying to instill with the yeah, team. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'd believe for those guys, yeah, 100%. Because if you're willing to give up your t- and this is what I've always said about stagiaires and all this kind of stuff, treating them like a piece of crap, I've never understood it. If you're willing to give up your time and you're willing to put in the work. You know, if you can follow simple instructions, if you can, you know, turn up on time, if you can be happy for the time that we spend together in the kitchen, I'll give you the world. You know, that's all I want. And what I really love is when they they take such an interest in, in can, can you teach me? I've never done this before. Can we do this? Oh, yeah, of course we can. We'll get that in next week. Do you know what I mean? Because it's drawing on your experience and something that, yeah, it's becoming more rare, particularly this kind of traditional... You know, I'll go down the back, I'll burn it, this little rabbit, and then we stuffed it with all the livers and the chicken farce and all this kind of stuff. And, the, you know, you turn around and there's three or four people, these, these guys. Like yeah, yeah, they're just watching you. Yeah. And I think it's quite funny sometimes, because I'm just working, you know. I, ne- I guess I never really... <laughs> this is just what I've always done. And then they're looking at going, like, wow, oh, bloody hell. And it's, so, it's such a rewarding feeling to know that when I then pass it on to the guy in the sauce or the guy in the fish, and he makes his first one, he slices it, and it's perfect. Seeing the sense of pride in his face, and then that fills me with pride because I taught that to him. Yeah. And hopefully now, every time he goes on and he rolls that terrine or he does that balantine or he bows that set of lamb, you think, yeah, oh, Paul took me that. Let's have your third dish. Gone in. So I was working in France. I was working at a hotel in the French Alps uh, as, as kind of part of my uh, education through the College of Food, and. Uh, at the time, I was with this uh, girl who was like this chalet girl or whatever, and uh, yet she agreed to go out on a date with me, or whatever. And we said, "Well, okay, where are we going to go?" So we booked at this <laughs> restaurant. Thing, yeah, do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> so we booked at this uh, this restaurant called Le Perdis Blanche, uh, and it was like a fairly unassuming, you know, traditional French restaurant. And uh, we got there, and we come in, and as you walk through the front door, lovely greeting. There's a little log fire going, and there's a massive cupboard full of meat. And it was at this point she turned around and told me that she was a vegetarian, <laughs> which I hadn't realised before. This isn't and, oh, go oh great, far. yeah, well done. Uh, and then you sit down, you look at the menu, she makes her find something she wants and whatever. And I ordered, uh, uh, it just says Côte de Bœuf. So I ordered the Côte de Bœuf. And that's, uh, yeah, obviously a big piece of ribeye on the bone. You know, it was a, it was a very generous portion of meat. <laughs> and uh, this little French man smoking a roll-up cigarette 
walking through the restaurant with this meat in his hand, you know, he puts it down next to the fireplace and then he goes back into the kitchen. Starks come out, I can still see the meat next to the fireplace. Then he comes back out, he seasons it up, he sticks it on a grate over the coals and he just cooks it nice and gently. And uh, then he gets a couple of peaches, he halves these peaches, he brushes them with a bit of oil and he sticks them on the grill as well. And then when it's cooked, he takes it off, he rests it, you know, he slices it up. And what I get on the plate in front of me was a coat de boeuf and grilled peaches with all of the roasting juices from this piece of meat. And I remember taking the first bite now like it was yesterday. I was just like, the clarity of flavour of what he gave me was, was like mesmerising. I'd never had two ingredients in such a the peak. They were absolutely prime. They wouldn't get any better. Simply cooked, served together on a plate. It was fucking, it was ballsy cooking when I think back about it mm. now. But this was just a neighbourhood restaurant in France. Great ingredients, clarity of flavour, and a, and a great combination. And yeah, I remember it like it was yesterday. Cote de Boeuf, grilled peaches. I suppose what interests me as somebody who isn't a chef, and we're talking about before we went live, that I'm not a chef but interested in it. Mm-hmm. And maybe this is something I've been trying to sort of get my head around, so maybe you can sort of help me out. Is when to find your style, yeah, which we've spoke about, and this interest that you have for classic, yeah. it almost seems to me like you have to kind of make a conscious decision to go. This is the sort of chef I am. I guess what I've always said to the guys that I've worked with in terms of your, your career, I think it's you should always have some kind of plan. I said, but plans change. That's life. Mm. I said, so if you say I want to be a three mission star chef. Then only go and work in three missing star restaurants. You know, if you want your own pub, go and work in the best pubs in the world. Kind of look at the end goal and, and work backwards. And a lot of them might start off like that, and then do you know what? They try it, they don't like it, they do something else. You're never going to hurt yourself by having that kind of experience, kind of in the pocket, you know. Um, but I'm, I'm not sure if some people will probably do it consciously. I don't think I did. You know, right. I just think when I look back, I got a very good traditional classic education yeah. at the Birmingham College of Food. I was a very keen student, a bit of a boffin, whatever. When it comes to food, I was fully invested. I was there all the time. I was doing extra stuff, like, say, in the butchery with Chef Brock and all this kind of stuff, just trying to learn as much as I possibly could. And then I've just been the same when I went out into the workplace, you know. And I would just want to take as much information from you as I possibly can to the point where I'll probably be very annoying, you know. <laughs> but definitely, I remember now, thinking back to some of my services at various restaurants when we've been in the middle of service, and, Chef, uh, what's the lamb navran? You know what I mean? And we were in the middle of a 60 cover service going down like a sack of shit. And he's like, can we talk about this later? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I just, yeah, you just want to soak it all up. And I think when, when you see that now in a young chef, you really want to kind of, oh, I really want to nurture it mm. and get out. So you didn't then have that end no, goal I then? I, you don't yeah. have you now? Have yeah. you thought about it now? Okay, so I said I wanted my own restaurant by the time I was 29. Okay. And it was 29 because everyone says 30. Yeah. So that was a random, <laughs> but I said 29. And my dad, he, he, this is kind of stuck in his head. He reminds me of it quite regularly. And I think as I've gone through my journey, you know, and it, the only dawned on me the other day, I was 13 when I went into my first kitchen. I've never had a job outside of the industry. And I'm 32 now. So next year will be 20 years I've been doing this. Yeah, don't get me wrong. I started in a greasy spoon or a pizza place or whatever. But yeah, hospitality industry. Um. And, and, you know, I don't think... I've, the restaurant by 29 was something that kind of came and went, I, you know, there's a few people I know that open restaurants that didn't work out for various reasons. And I kind of just wanted to learn then. It became about just becoming the best chef that I could be. And, and mm. you know, I've taken various turns at my career that I maybe didn't see coming. Or, um, yeah, if you just, like I said, if you just said five years ago, you know, you're going to be head chef at Two Star in Denmark when you're 30, you know, 29, 30, however old I was. I, yeah, I've just told you we were being stupid and like, ridiculous. And, but that's just the way it goes sometimes. I think what, what Henna's made me realise is that uh, how many traditional skills I, I did have. Mm. And, but to me, I never really recognised them as you know, traditional skills or whatever because it was just what I did or what yeah. was done at that time, you know. And don't get me wrong, there's a lot of chefs out there better than me, you know, but I can rattle pans with the best of them. <laughs> Well, when you said twenty nine, I mean, you know, you're a, you're a, you look young, you're a, you know, attractive, oh, handsome, beautiful man. Okay, and I, I that's thought good perhaps, this is radio, isn't it? I thought perhaps you were going to say, <laughs> and so next year on my twenty ninth birthday, I'm. Gonna, uh, so no. it's but not. Then, is it in the plans or is it? No, I mean, obviously, when I leave Henna, I said we've spoken about this, me and my wife, and you have plans, you have ideas, you have this, the other. But I mean, it's a long way off becoming a kind of reality. But yeah, I do want my own place. But it became more about, I think, the lesson I took away from Paul Cunningham winning two missing stars at the age of 50. Let's think in for a second. He was 50 years old. He won his yeah, first yeah. star when he was 28. 
And I think you get a lot of people now that go in or they win a star and they're like, right, next year we'll have two stars. And I think, don't get me wrong, some, this has happened to some people, you know. Niall Keaton's one that springs to mind, exceptional yeah. chef, you know, he's just won two stars Incredible at the Manor chef, yeah. inside kind of three years. And then uh, Jordan Bailey straight in at two yeah. stars for, for kind of aim shit. But I don't know a single person that doesn't tell me, not not only what a lovely person he is. I've, I've, he came to Henna last year with his, his wife used to work at Henna. They're just lovely people, but what a talented individual he is, yeah. uh, and what a great cook he is. Um, but these these guys are the exception. It's not everyone that will go in, win a star, and then a couple of years later win two stars. And then you look at chefs like Claude Bossy and Sat. You know, is it have they got it in them to win three stars? Yeah, of course they have. Will it happen? I don't know. I don't work for Michelin. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I like to speculate as much as the next guy. <laughs> I don't have a clue. I said, but patience. You know, his style has then developed so much. If you look back to, he was at a place called Toulouse Court, and then he went from there to the pool, obviously one star there for a long, long time. And then, yeah, 50 years old. That is a patient man. Uh, but he's, he's become more confident, he's taken more stuff away, he's focused more on the produce. And I think, as chefs, we're very competitive. You like to look on the end goal. The end goal is one star, two star, three stars, whatever. You know, you've got to, you've got to learn on the journey, you've got to enjoy the journey. And, yeah, you've got to take great pride in your work if, every day. And I think if he can win two stars at 50, it's never over. Mm. I think people look and go, oh, you know, I haven't won what I wanted to win in this amount of time, therefore it's not going to happen. Yeah, could stick to it, man. There's, there's too many that kind of, I think they deviate from the path. Yeah. They're on to win, or they're on the path, they just haven't got the patience to stick with it. So they start trying to tinker and change things on the pursuit, in the pursuit of kind of the ultimate goal, whatever it might be. And then they, they detract from what made it good in the first place. Well, I'll tell you what I was going to say, sorry is, again, as a foodie who observes the food world a lot and new openings and what have you, there is this trend, especially, again, in the UK, of these guys that have been Sue and head chef at two and three star places. Jordan's a fine example. Here in Northumberland is a fine example. So there is that trend now, isn't there, of being a head chef in this thing and then opening up your own thing. It almost seems to me to get back, you have to have that. It's always been there. You know what I mean? You get a great education, you work in some great restaurants, naturally you have a desire to kind of open your own place. This has always been the natural order of things, I think. But um, the, the point I guess I was trying to make is that, you know, instant success doesn't, it's doesn't, not impossible. No. It's not that you shouldn't try and strive to achieve it, it's that's what you want. But you definitely shouldn't be disappointed if it doesn't happen in five, ten years or whatever. No, but I guess what my question is then, do you see things like that? You see Jordan and him and Simon Martin who did time at Noma and yeah. think, okay, so it's definitely doable. Yeah, but I mean, I think it is. Yeah, of course, it's, is it doable for me? I don't have a clue. You know, I know what I think I'm capable of. I know what I'd like to do. You know, the concept of the restaurant that I have in mind is perhaps a bit more casual. But it's a restaurant. The next thing that I do after Henna needs to be something that I can grow with. Mm. I think too many times now chefs will take something on or they will open something and it's kind of short-sighted. It's good for us, you know, three to five years. And then, you know, they haven't got the capacity to expand it, to, to develop it the way they want to. And then they end up going somewhere else. And I think for me... You know, the great inspiration comes from people like Sat, who've been continuously evolving over the last 20 years. And, you know, the restaurant now, is it still Restaurant Sat Baines? Is it still where it was before? Yeah, but is it the same restaurant it was 20 years ago? No, absolutely not. Continuously evolve. Mm. And I think in order to be a great chef and to stay at the top of your game for as long as these guys have, that's necessary. Um, so, yeah, do I have a drive to kind of... I feel like I'm dancing around your question here. Um, no, no. It's, it's great to see it. It is possible. Do I know if I can do it? No, there's only one way to find it. What I'm not saying is like, leave Hen, do it, go now, Hen out. <laughs> but yeah. what I am interested in is like, again, especially chef of your level, it, me, I study food, I study restaurants, I study who's who and who's what. So yeah. it just interests me. You know, you see these guys and, oh, he's Sue. But, so it, but it so. doesn't always translate just because you've been. It, being a chef with someone else or working for someone else for a large period of time I almost feel like if you do it for too long you become a, a, like a, a, a version of them mm. and I think the reason they kind of got to where they were was because of their individuality and you see it a lot of times how many, how many times you've seen it there's a chef he works with this other chef for an extended period of time he leaves to open his own place and you look at the food and it looks like a diluted version of the restaurant where he came from or something to that effect um and they think it's easy, you know. Oh, okay, say, well, I work in this restaurant, I work in this restaurant, I do three years here, two years here, whatever I can manage. And I open my own place and I get a star inside a year. And it's just, some people can do it. I'm not saying it's not possible, but some people are a bit, yeah, a bit deluded with that. Um, but you see, there's different kinds of chefs that work in, in different kinds of kitchens. And just because you've worked in good restaurants 
doesn't mean that when the, yeah. you know all the onus is on you and you have to come with all the dishes you have to do all this some people don't take to it you know yeah but that's again that's what i was trying to get out with the style thing because sometimes i wonder when you've got paul cunningham is ultimately the executive mm-hmm. head chef or yeah, chef well, patron well, of henna paul yeah. and paul is paul cunningham yeah. so do you then find yourself and say when you're cooking and go ah okay that's that's me that's not i mean this we have a good relationship paul and i have a good input on the menu we generally talk about a lot of things he'll take it in one direction i'll take it into another and we'll kind of meet in the middle some dishes are solely his some dishes are solely mine some dishes you know we're getting input from from the guys and it's it's a team game it's a team sport cooking you know so ultimately yeah there's influences that come from all over but I will always say the food at Henna is Paul's food you know so when I open my place of course you're going to see influences from Henna because a lot of the stuff that we're serving there I've had influence on so yeah it's natural that you're going to yeah. see that connection but there's a difference for me between me just taking dishes from henna or you know trying to cook in exactly the same yeah. way I'm an individual I have my own ideas yeah, as well right. uh, and you know I can't be Paul Cunningham only he can do that you know so I'm going to be the best version of Paul Prophet yeah. instead of a, a diluted version of Paul Cunningham I guess. so I would say if I lose track of dishes then I'm having a really good conversation I think we're on to your fourth do you know what I couldn't tell you I think we are what have you done yeah fourth fourth good yeah, yeah. I am good see I can do a podcast right let's have your days. fourth right so <laughs> uh, young chef just finished college green eyed bushy tailed uh, and I'd just seen Glyn Purnell on the great British menu yeah and he's a he's a unique guy in my eyes I'm watching him he's a bit rock and roll he's got a great sense of humour and he's cooking dishes like I've never seen before and he's a local boy he's yeah. a Midlands lad yeah. so it's the only place I want to work you know, at the time, you know, I keep going on stores there, I keep banging on the door, there's no places, no places. And uh, ultimately, my now wife was working in the front of house for, for him. Oh, right, and, okay. uh, oh, you know, well, we just had this guy left and this and the other. So I went, knocked on the door, it's Glyn, you've got to give me a chance, you know. And, oh, yeah, Paul, this is the wage, this is the conditions, this is kind of what I'm putting on the table, it's kind of a take it or leave it kind of job, I'll take it. So uh, I go in and... Um, I ate there a couple of weeks before I started with, again, it was, it was my now wife's ex-boyfriend and her dad. <laughs> and one of my very good friends, we then ate on a table of four at Fernell's. And one of the first dishes we got was the um, smoked haddock milk with cornflakes yep. and curry oil. Yeah. Yeah. And this was a... Even I remember that. Yeah. So... It was like, it was a bit mind-blowing for me because he was the first guy that I worked for that used a, a couple of kind of different techniques and whatnot that I'd not experienced in kitchens before. Uh, it was a very disciplined kitchen, um, but it was also, it was fun, it was playful, it was kind of, it was clean, it was his sense of humour. Um, and there's no two ways in my mind that it, had I not worked at Pernas, I wouldn't be the chef I am today. I learned an immense amount in that kitchen. But this dish was, was just glin on a plate. It's playful, it's flavour-driven. Uh, it even looks a bit like, a, you know, a fried egg with these cornflakes and coriol. It's got these two beautiful smoked had it croquettes on the side for dipping it's just an exceptional dish and it was taking the spoon the, the lightness of it the kind of strength of flavor the clarity of flavor and the playfulness of it. it was it was his personality in a bowl and it was great do you feel midlands i'm, I'm a very yeah i'm a very proud Staffordshire yeah. boy i'm not from the west midlands <laughs> like glenn is from from birmingham I know, I just wonder if after all this time in Denmark, yeah, no, if you're starting absolutely. to have this dual... No, I fly the flag 100%. I'm very proud to contribute in Denmark to be doing what I'm doing over there. But yeah, of course, I'm born and bred Midlands. You haven't lost any accent. No, if I'm not, well, that's, I'd probably come out more on it. <laughs> I'm born and bred Staffordshire. I'm very proud to have kind of done the things I've done in Staffordshire as well. And uh, yeah, Midlands boy. I always say after five years in Yorkshire, I now insist on keeping my... Yeah, you 100% that. Yeah, like that. I absolutely <laughs> have to have my English. Yeah. Uh, well, proper I, I, English yes thank you that's what I'm getting at my London Queens even, even my wife takes the mick out of me because she's from Midlands and she says when you come on the podcast you sound extra posh oh, yeah. it happens I'm repping the South and the North I love it I love it <laughs> so we're here as we've said yeah Burlington Devonshire Arms yeah, yeah. how did you because when we interviewed Leno one of your dishes was on his menu that's right that was from this event last year so yeah. how did you so you, yeah this is your second time how did you meet what was the connection so the connect, Tom Shepard was actually the connection between me and Leno because I think last year it, the connection was Ian Matfin who's the, the kind of executive yeah. sous chef he knew Paul from an Obsessions they, when he was working for Michael Keynes years ago uh, and then yeah Paul contacted me because uh, through Tom Shepard they spent a short time together at the Samlin yeah. 
And uh, yeah, I came over, me and Paul cooked this dinner together last year. And I just, Leno, he's one of those guys, he's, he's a little bit timid. He's probably not the most confident guy. And I don't know why, because, you know, he's, he's dynamite in the kitchen. And uh, he's just a lovely bloke. I've got all the time in the world for him. So um, obviously, as it happened, it turns out this is his last week. And I'm, I'm pretty Yeah, do you know what I mean? And you've, you're kicking off the week of Kicking off the week, food week. Me starting it, Tom Shepard finishing it. A few yeah, banging cool chefs in the middle, you know, Luke French is here, uh, Adam Reed's here from the French, uh, Adam Smith, who was actually, he was also a fellow alumni from the old College of Food, and the previous head chef for me, he is here, yeah, there's uh, one more that I'm forgetting, Lee from uh, Bohemia and Jersey, and yeah, yeah it's, it's just a, it's a dynamite week of great chefs, great food, you know, fingers crossed, I mean, we'll see. Because I think for me, there's this thing about having met you today, but even before I met you, yeah. you had just had this reputation of warmth me yeah friendliness openness <laughs> generosity oh you've been talking to the right people yeah uh, yeah i don't know i mean i try and be genuine i guess this is um, this is how i am as a person you know and i want to spend time you get older you, you can't be asked with all the faff all the bullshit all these one-sided relationships or whatever you want to spend time with the people who who are nice people and they don't get any nicer than paul Leonard, let me tell you i agree and it was I'm, i wonder if as a listener to the show which is amazing for me by the way if it was nice for you to hear him pick oh, yeah, absolutely dish. I weren't expecting it you know he hadn't told me that he said it or anything like that and again old new episode of the podcast so I'm listening to it on the drive home and I'm laughing because I know exactly what it's like to work with uh, Mr Cunningham when he's uh, when he's on one and uh, that was definitely one of them you know we like to inject a little bit of personality and it was just a, it was a great night and again we did it to kind of kick off food week again on the Tuesday because we're coming over from Denmark we don't bring any meat on or anything like that so he did say to me this year you can bring a chef with you you know, so you a bit of a push and whatever. And I said, oh, no, I think I'd like to bring the wife. And he said, we, we do three dishes and I've done five. And then I was looking at my mise on list the other day thinking, that ah, maybe I should have bought a chef. <laughs> Your wife's not <laughs> yeah, handy yeah, in the kitchen. Yeah, you know, I love you, George. But yeah, no, she's very handy in the kitchen, actually. She's a trained chef. But uh, the point was she'd come and relax a bit. Oh, and, right, uh, okay. But I was so excited. Like, we went out for beers. We had a curry last night. They really made nice. me feel welcome. And uh, I was the first one in the kitchen this morning. I can't keep away. When I get to meet her later? Uh, yeah, absolutely. She's dining with my mum and dad actually tonight. So, uh, oh, good. Well, let me yeah. please say hello. That'd absolutely. Be really nice. So I promised that we could have a bonus one because I wanted a bonus dish from your what you're cooking tonight. Yeah. Because even though it'll have been gone by the time this goes out next week, um, I want people have got a sense of what you've kind of brought. Okay. So what was one of the ones that you've brought in tonight? Just anyone, I don't know. I mean, the, the main course is one that kind of typifies my cooking style, also being slightly different from maybe the henna and the, the food that we do over there. Uh, it's called Paul's Meat and Two Veg. And it's, uh, yeah, it's it's a potato terrine, some beautiful Yorkshire potatoes that's layered up with um, sausage meat and then a layer of sage, a layer of black pudding. It's got all these potatoes sliced between it, so we're going to fry that off nice and crispy. It's got a, a pork cheek. It's been glazed in a little bit of honey, uh, some pork crackling, some applesauce, and some roast hispy cabbage. And it's like, well, yeah, it's, it is what it is. It's something that I would love to sit down and eat. Um, it's a flavourful dish. It's yeah, it's meat and vegetables, I guess. So as you know from being a listener, yeah. I'm going to ask you for your final one, and I'm going to ask you to pick your favourite. Yeah. And that's what I always say. It's like if we had a specials board, something that was you know, the most meaningful maybe. So let's have your fifth, and let's pick yeah. a special. So the last one for me is actually one from Henna. Um, and again, it's the only job I've ever taken without working in the kitchen. He wouldn't let me in. I was saying, I bought me shoes, bought me whites, everything. No, we're too busy, can't have you any. So, and he, so I, I took, yeah, I talk about a leap of faith or whatever. I just knew from this feeling I had from kind of talking to people, it was a great restaurant, it was going to be great. Uh, yeah, so I moved over there, moved my family across to Denmark without having seen <laughs> any food leave the kitchen, aside from kind of what you can gather from Instagram. And we get in there, and uh, we start cooking. And uh, yeah, I remember one of the first things he said: "We need to make a chutney." All right, great. What do you want? I don't know. Just make a chutney. And you think, fucking, hell, you know? Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, he's kind of putting all the onus on you, and then you make it, and he goes, "Yeah, it's great. It's delicious." And he's very much like that. He kind of put it, the onus on you. Uh, he trusts you as a cook, as a, as a chef. Obviously, it's developed more over the last four years. But uh, right, the first couple of days, this is kind of the the path that it's going down, and then. Um, we like to cook extra dishes or different dishes. For Sometimes we have two-day guests or special guests, friends of the house, all this kind of stuff. Uh, he said, oh, we got, we got so-and-so in tonight. We'll do them the langoustine with the toffee tomatoes and smoked butter sauce. And I was thinking, oh, it sounds a bit of me, that. 
So they get these beautiful langoustines from a small island called Lesu off the kind of east coast of Jutland. They're a very good size, a beautifully sweet, uh, you know, one of Denmark's treasures. They grilled it lightly on one side only over the Akatori grill and then they, they let it kind of rest in a little bit of olive oil with, with, with the lid on so all those juices kind of come out to the oil. Uh, we get a, a toffee tomato, we call it. So you get like a cherry tomato. Uh, you blanch it, take the skin off, scoop all the seeds out. Uh, and then we put a, a single slice of garlic, a single piece of thyme, and a single piece of rosemary inside each one. Then we sprinkle them with olive oil and a little bit of sherry vinegar, and we dry them gently under the hot lamps. So you get two of those inside the bowl. You get your langoustine tail, uh, which is then covered with a thin slice of house larder and the smoked butter sauce. And again, you know, I told you earlier about my, I have my kind of palate. Mm. Like, I'll never forget this sauce. We take... It's a bit like a classic white wine sauce. You know, you get your... Um, a bit of shellfish stock, a bit of fish stock, uh, mirepoix or whatever, roast off with some shallots and garlic and herbs. You add your wine, you cook it down, you know, you put your fish stock in there, a little bit of shellfish stock, reduce it down, and you finish it with cubes of butter that have been gently smoked, cold smoked. And it was it was a revelation. I mean, it, it, the whole thing together, a little bit of acidity coming from the tomatoes, a richness coming from the smoke butter sauce, that very light smoke, you know, this beautiful sweet langoustine, and I just thought... I'm going to be all right. <laughs> I'm going to be all right. This is this is going to go just fine. Yeah, yeah. And that if you was, had to pick uh, one of your five that was your your favourite. What would you pick? Um, I mean, it's a difficult one for me. They're definitely I can remember everyone like it was yesterday. But yeah, my nan sadly she passed away last year. It was when I came to this event. I had to go into a funeral and whatever. And uh, yeah. Yeah, I owe it all to, to Nana Shirley, my career as a chef. So, yeah, this one's for you. Man. Every time I do a podcast now, there's every potential it's the last ever one. Yeah. So I always like, get a bit to the end and I'm like, how how do I end this? But you're somebody, again, weirdly, madly, that I can't believe listens to the show. Is there something I should ask? You listen there and you think, oh, I wish I'd, you'd asked that to the chef. Um... I don't know really I mean I guess you look at it from a different perspective when you're in the game yeah. you've had some I mean I feel privileged to be on it you know Paul Lanesworth been on here Ashley Palmer what's been on here they're, they're fucking they're big boys you know and then then there's me so yeah thank you very much for having me on thank you for the entertainment on all the long drives home from the west coast of Denmark <laughs> uh, it'll be missed definitely well I'm, I'm like I say I am sorry that it's gonna not accompany you on your journeys home I just have to thank you really because obviously we booked this so long ago yeah it's something I've been really looking forward to uh, particularly after you know Tomo's been giving me a bit of stick Leno's been giving me a bit of stick you know? what that you haven't been on yeah they've been on and I hadn't do you know what I mean so I yeah have that you bastards now, you could say you're the last ever guest yeah so do you know what I mean be... have that drop the mic drop it drop it now we're done no drop it go on drop it thanks again to our fantastic series partners Chef Works check them out on social media just search at chefworks uk in ireland on facebook twitter linkedin and instagram hashtag chefworks wearer if you wear chefworks and you want to feature or get in touch with us and maybe you can appear as a chef of the month now that would be really cool to see a chefy listener of the past feature as a chefworks wearer of the month that'd be really cool you can get in touch with me on twitter as well at the past pod uh, I am also the underscore past underscore podcast on Instagram. Or you can email me with stories of best dining experiences, perhaps celebrities in restaurants is always fun. Uh, I'm at paul at the past podcast.co.uk. And perhaps I will grovel with Chef Works for an apron for our best email that gets read out on the show. That would be cool. You could have your own apron chef works apron that would be really lovely to see somebody in that uh, you can take a nice picture for us cheers guys and uh, we will see you next time around on the past podcast cheers <laughs> <laughs>